Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and this is the West Block Politics, Perspectives, and Players. How should citizens' privacy be protected in the age of social media, and are governments doing enough? These are some of the questions asked this week at an international gathering here in Ottawa. Will tech giants do more to prevent privacy breaches and rein in the dissemination of false news? Joining me now from San Francisco is author and journalist Stephen Hill. Stephen, there's been a lot of pushback in Ottawa from some of the tech giants, probably most notably Facebook. They insist that they take privacy very seriously and that they are trying to stop the spread of fake news. Do you believe those tech giants and take them seriously when they say that? It's pretty hard to take them seriously at this point, especially Facebook. They've been caught numerous times saying, oh, we're going to do this, but we're really concerned, and then you look at the result, and it's it's something that uh, is quite appalling. Um, and 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 if we just take them at their word that they are trying to do it, I mean, we have to conclude that then they're not capable of doing it. That uh, I mean, you know, to, the thing about Facebook and many of these other operations with their huge data collection operations that they have, it's it's it, they use enormous algorithms that have been cobbled together over many years by a number of different engineers. And it's, you know, there are these huge uh, equations and, and, and data sets. And it, it's just not clear at this point that even the humans overseeing these algorithms know what they do and how they work. And, and so we're in this kind of strange new world where um, the, the Frankenstein is in the machine. It's been unleashed. And even those who created the Frankenstein can't control it, don't know how it works. And so, you know, I mean, at this point, Mark Zuckerberg himself has said to the government in the United States, you should regulate us. And uh, so far, the United States government has declined to do that. Many of us are on these platforms for hours. Do you think that people at home understand the magnitude of what could be out there? Um, no, I don't think most people do, because for most people, you know, they're still sharing photos with their family and friends, and they, they find old friends they haven't found in a long time. And, and so it still seems like, well, yeah, it's kind of creepy. I don't really like it, but what harm could there be? Um, and, and, you know, most people don't really think about the fake news that's being promulgated over Facebook, the uh, attempts at manipulation that most people still aren't really aren't aware that the Facebook algorithm is tweaked in order to get you angry, get you uh, upset about some news that they put in front of you. So you're not just, uh, you know, I mean, the dream of the Internet and Facebook was it was this open platform um, where there's no curation. Anybody can put what, uh, what they want out there. What a beautiful idea. Well, in actual fact, these algorithms are curating. I mean, in their own weird way, they're kind of like the New York Times deciding what you see and don't see, except unlike the New York Times, um, which is doing it along the lines of what they think is good political news, whether you agree with their editorial take or not, the Facebook algorithm is doing it based on how do we grab them? How do we get them angry, excited, interested, so they stay on our platform and we can keep showing them ads because every time they see an ad, we make more money. That's their business model, and that is, it's, it's both the ultimate in sort of a commercial, crass type of model, and it, it, we're seeing that it has a lot of downsides for governance and democracy. Is there anything that these tech giants could be doing right now that they're not doing? Sure, absolutely. I mean, they could be not collecting our data at all. Um, you know, their business model is predicated on taking our data and monetizing that. 
Um, you know, this is far different than, you know, the Sears and Roebuck catalog when you used to make a purchase and they would send you a catalog every year and they had your address in their database. That's what we used to think of. And, you know, the annoyance of direct mail, they had some of our data too. But Facebook not only has our data about, you know, how to find us, but who we are. Um, they, uh, there was a recent incident in which um, they were selling to their advertisers the ability to target youth who had shown themselves to be emotionally vulnerable based on what they were posting. You know, even things as, as ridiculous as, you know, in indicating that they were suicidal. And they were saying these are people who are emotionally vulnerable and they can be targeted for your commercial purposes. So this is the type of targeting that they're doing all predicated on collecting our data. And if they can't stop the targeting, these outrageous examples we've seen over the last few years, then maybe they shouldn't be able to collect our data at all. And, and, and I think that that's where we really have to have a serious conversation about who owns our data, who controls the data, because it's not just Facebook, it's Facebook, it's Google, it's Amazon. Amazon is collecting information on you. When you go to buy on Amazon, they are using your data to sometimes show you the products that they want you to see when you search. It's not an open search where they tell you, show you anything that's out there. They're manipulating the search. Google manipulates their search in order to show you the things that benefit their business and brings revenue to them. So, I mean, to some degree, search has become almost like part of our infrastructure. It's almost like a public library at this point. It's, it's what modern society has come to dependent on, be dependent on, and yet these companies control the search in a way that manipulates the results. That's troubling, and it, you know, we're only at the beginning of, of what of the ramifications of this could be. You know, when you think of how often you talk with family or friends and something comes up and you have a question and do a quick search on the internet or social media, you don't think that that search is being curated when you're doing it. Exactly. I mean, and, and so as I said, the, the dream of the internet, the open global internet was this, you know, everybody will be able to be their own producer of news and information and put things out there. We'll be able to exchange freely. Government will be out of the way. That was the dream that Silicon Valley uh, promoted and still does promote. But in fact, there's all sorts of curation going on on these platforms, and they're not responsible for it. In the United States, we passed a law in the 1990s, the Communication Decency Act, that made these platforms not responsible for what appears on their platforms. And uh, this is a big problem because the U.S. and Silicon Valley are creating the standards for the world. Um, and so, you know, we have to, Canada is affected by this, Europe is affected by this, everywhere is affected by this, except maybe China, who has kind of shut a lot of these companies out of China and have created their own versions of Facebook and, and Google and Amazon, which have, have their own issues uh, that have been much talked about. That particular American law that you mentioned, why hasn't that law been overturned or changed yet? Well, you know, in the United States, there's a great deal of optimism about technology. And, um, and you know, I think a lot of people like the cool products they've gotten from Silicon Valley. I mean, people like our smartphones. They like the iPhone. Um, you know, there's something cool about Facebook, too, and about Google and search. So the real and we're only, you know, in the last couple of years, really realizing the downsides. And when my book, Raw Deal, how the uber economy and runaway, runaway capitalism are screwing American workers came out in late 2015. The United States was still in the middle of this honeymoon period where, you know, people said, oh, you're 
the perspective you're taking in your book is too extreme. Well, everything I said in that book turned out to be true. And, um, and so now we're at this point where we're saying, oh, what do we do? Some people say, oh, there's nothing we can do. The, you know, the Internet, these global companies, these online platforms, they kind of exist everywhere and nowhere. So how do you regulate them? How do you rein them in? But in fact, there are things we could be doing. Um, you know, in, in Europe, they've already passed the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, as it's called. It's, uh, it's a, a way of, of putting rules around the use of privacy. We could be doing things, what I call digital licenses. You know, if you think about a brick-and-mortar business, in order for them to operate in Canada, Ford Motor Company, for example, they can't just show up and do whatever the heck they want. They have to agree to a whole bunch of permits and licenses and rules and regulations that the Canadian government has passed. And, and, and if they don't agree to them, they can get a lot of trouble. They could even be shut down in Canada if they're not following the rules uh, of, of how to create autos in Canada. So um, we could create digital licenses that can be enforced in certain ways for these online uh, platform companies, we, but we haven't taken the step of doing that yet. In, in other words, part of the solution is treating these new the internet-based um, companies like we've tre treated traditional brick-and-mortar companies. The, the rules and regulations that we've used in them, we can do with these companies. We just need to figure out how to enforce those rules with these new types of companies. Is there a role for artificial intelligence when it comes to data oversight? One of the uh, flip sides of this conversation is that, you know, artificial intelligence can do some really good things if it's done the right way. And, um, and you need huge amounts of data in order to develop that artificial intelligence because basically the algorithms are just crawling across huge data sets and finding patterns that a human mind could never find. And so having the ability to have big data sets is, is good if it's used the right way. So um, different people are talking about a thing like having data oversight agency, kind of a, a CERN for artificial intelligence um, like, you know, CERN is the organization in Switzerland that does high-intensity physics, and it's an international collaborative consortium, that this is the type of direction that we need to push the development of these technologies in. Um, and I think eventually we will go in that direction because the current model just is clearly not working. That's all the time we have for today. Stephen Hill, thank you for joining us. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.